0: Um, Acts chapter 11, we've got a few verses in 11 and a few verses in 12 to look at this morning. I think it is interesting in God's sovereignty, this text kind of speaks in a very powerful way into the situation we find ourselves in. We are living in a world right now that is full of fear, isn't it? Not just fear, but panic. I and mean, It's everywhere, everywhere you look. Um, and I guess that's, that's not surprising to me. Correct? Is it surprising to you? Not surprising to me at all. If, if, if we don't have our hope in the Lord, the end result is we're going to have our hope where? In ourselves, right? That's where we're going to find our, our hope is in our, ourselves or those who we trust. Even though those who we trust always fail us, right? Because they're humans as well. <clears throat> what saddens me as I look around in our world, is how many people who claim to be believers are rushing around in panic and in fear. Because I would argue as a believer, I have nothing to fear. I'm, I'm leading into our text this morning, although the text doesn't talk about a virus. I have nothing to fear. I have absolutely nothing to fear. Doesn't mean we'd be stupid, right? Doesn't mean we'd get stupid and do stupid things. Um, Just because, I'll share with Ken this morning, just because God has our days numbered, and he does, right? And we're not going to die a moment before the day of our death, of our day that that our number, let me say that again. We're not going to die a a moment before that that time that God has foreordained to take place takes place. Does not mean that because of that, I can go ahead and jump off the Empire State Building without a parachute. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm, I'm... being somewhat sarcastic, but you get the point. So there's, there's, there's a wisdom aspect going on, but at the same time, our confidence is where? It's in Christ. It's in all... It we sang about this morning, didn't we? Did you listen to the words of the songs? It, it, that's what we sang about this morning, is is our, our exaltation is not in our health. Our exaltation is not in um, our well-being, Our exaltation is not in a a nice, easy, comfortable life. Our exaltation purely and simply is in Christ. That's what we sang in our first song. And in the second song, we sang about sickness, didn't we? The last verse of the the second song, we sang about sickness. And in the third verse, we talked about death. Again, the the point of the song we were singing, obviously the song is not inspired, but the point is it's trying to reflect accurately what the scriptures teach. Our hope, our exaltation, our trust, our rest, our everything is what? In Christ. Right? These are times, like right now, are times when we ask ourselves, are really, truly, every, is everything from him, through him, to him, to him be glory forever, amen? Right? Does that include viruses? The answer is yes. That includes viruses. Does that include sickness? Yes. Does it include death? Absolutely. Does it it include chaos in our world? Yes. It does. It absolutely does. Because all things are from him, through him, to him. It, it, it is interesting. There's an old Puritan prayer, and we're going to get into the text in just a second, but <clears throat> there's an old Puritan prayer. Actually, it's not a Puritan prayer. It's, it's in the book. What's the book called? Valley of Vision, the very first prayer. It's written by the compiler of the Puritan prayers. The very first one uh, in the prayer, close to the end of it, it the author says um the stars are brightest when it's darkest and it talks about even in the middle of the day if you go down into a into a well you can see the stars and i don't know if that's really true or not i've never been way deep in a well looking up into the sky i don't know <clears throat> but the point is the darker the night the more clear the the, the stars shine and we all know that's true like i i, I used to live in the adirondacks and there's basically no light pollution up there And my goodness, you feel at night like you'd reach out and touch the stars. They're so bright. And the point of his message in that prayer is, when life is dark, light shines bright. Do you think God's in control of this? And what do you think his purpose is? These are really important questions, right? Real important questions. What do you think God's purpose is with regard to this darkness? To show the light, right? You know what the worst thing that could happen during this time is? Before the service, we were joking because if I may just expose Lois for a second, um, she had a hair in her mouth and she was trying to get it out. It was on her tongue, and she's trying to get it out. She's picking away at, she's picking away trying to get it off. And of course, we all were like, coronavirus, coronavirus! <laughs> and then she wiped Jim's shirt with it. Uh, <laughs> My point is that in this darkness, the answer ultimately is not. Let's make sure we keep ourselves clean. Ultimately the point is what? This is all about the light. And we miss what a what a beautiful opportunity we miss when we are not light bringers, right? Or better more accurately uh, said, are light reflectors. Does the world need health, most importantly? Does the world need freedom from the coronavirus, most importantly? No. No. Can I sit up here and say that the reason why the coronavirus is here is judgment of God? No, I can't say that. I don't know that. It may be. may not be. We don't know, right? Because we don't know what the scriptures say. You know, the scriptures don't tell us. They don't give us a key to unlock it. But this I know. In God's sovereignty, this I know. These events are brought into our lives for a very important purpose. And it's to be light shiners. That's what it's for. Always. I don't care what the situation is. I don't care if it's a personal thing, you get cancer, or, or a personal thing that we, um, um, our investments go belly up and we lose everything. That's kind of significant this week, too, isn't it? Um, or, or whatever it may be. Those things are, if I use a term to go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, those are attacks on the cheap earthen vessel, aren't they? Aren't they? There are tax on the cheap earthen vessel, the earthen vessel that in and of itself is worth basically nothing. And for what purpose? For a very important purpose, and the very important purpose is so that the gospel may be shown. That's what it's for. It's exactly what it's for. So that the gospel may show forth in the midst of it. And I, I say that in precursor to our study because I think it's really, really important that we recognize that. Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 27. We're going to go through um, verse... We'll read through maybe verse um, 5 of, of Acts chapter 12. <clears throat> Now in these days, and the days being referenced, of course, are what we've what we've already looked at in the previous uh, passage, um, where the uh, ministry is going on uh, in uh, up on the north side of the uh, Mediterranean, Mediterranean, uh, north east side. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine. Over all the world, and then in parentheses in my translation it says these took place or this took place in the days of Claudius, verse 29. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. In verse 12, or, sorry, chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And that's going to basically be our text for this morning. It's an interesting study in contrast. There's any number of ways we can approach this text. But it's an interesting study in contrast, at least. What do we have? What, what is the contrast? The contrast is between the people of the church, chapter 11, and Herod the king in chapter 12. It's a pretty obvious and clear contrast. So we're going to look at the text in two ways this morning. Um, as we work our way through it. But the study is really interesting. Firstly, the response of believers to difficulty. Right? Do you see that? Agabus comes to Antioch, and when he arrives at Antioch, he's a prophet, and the spirit is at work in him as he's prophesying, and he gets up, simply said, and he prophesies there's a famine coming that's going to affect everybody. And it's going to be deep. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. The response is interesting, isn't it? And this is where I said that the text this morning, I said to to the music team this morning, the text this morning has so much application to today. I mean, it's stunning. I, I, I did not plan it this way. But it has so much application to our situation in life today. There's going to be a famine coming. And the response of the believers in Antioch is what? Summed up, let's let's care for people. Isn't that interesting? Their response is let's care for people. Who? Who do they focus on? Say it? Some believers. What believers? Well, the elders are, 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 are overseeing it, but who are they focused on? The church in Jerusalem. Why do you think they'd focus on the church in Jerusalem? Most yes, that's where the most persecution is going on. It's raging there. And so they're going to care for the church in Jerusalem. And and how do they do that? By sending, sending supplies, sending money, sending whatever's needed, right? Because even though they are scattered, right, they're part of the, of the scattering of believers under persecution, the persecution doesn't seem to be affecting them that much up in Antioch yet, correct? But it is raging down, down there in Jerusalem, and so they need to care for those people. And so the people do what? The believers in the church, when they hear there's a famine coming, their response is to panic, right, and start doing crazy things, right? No. Quite to the contrary, what do they do? Again, they care for others. Their focus is where? Loving other believers. Get hit even worse than we are. You get the sense that if famine's coming over the world at this point in time, are the people in Antioch going to suffer? Well, yeah, of course they are. It didn't say, the, the Agabus didn't say it's going to come across the whole world except for Antioch. It's going to come. It's going to be hard. Let's take care of other people. But wait, that means we'll suffer more in the end. So? is that an interesting perspective? Now the text here does not say why they did that. Does it? It doesn't say, and the reason why they did that was because the blah, 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 in the scripture said this, or the scripture said that, or the scripture said It doesn't say that, does it? It's like Luke writes it just saying the facts of the story. Is that what he does? He just lays out the facts of the story. And it's easy to read it over and move on into chapter 12 and not stop and say, wait a second. That's not the way people think, is it? It's easy to read over it not stop and say, wait a second. That's, to use the word, that's totally counterintuitive, isn't it? That's not how it works. Aren't we hardwired for survival? Of course we are. I mean, everybody of all times has been. That's why when 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 something comes flying at our eye the first thing we do is what? We blink. And then, and then and then a microsecond after we blink we do what? We cover our eyes and recoil, don't we? You don't think that way, do you? You don't think I see that the I see that heading towards me, I better I better blink. You don't think, well well that to go back to when we were kids, you don't think, well, I see that dodgeball heading towards my face. I'd better move. You just do, don't you? Right? We're hardwired that way. We're hardwired to survive, to protect. What's happening in the church in Antioch is absolutely counterintuitive to who humans are. Isn't it? Can I say a couple of things about that? That should give us a really good glimpse. Just a glimpse, but a really good glimpse at the power of the Spirit. It gives us a really good glimpse at the power of the Holy Spirit at work. If we think, if we think that that well that's just who we are, and I hear that all the time in counseling, well that's just who I am. I've heard that kind of statement so often. Well, that's just who I am. That's how I'm hardwired. I hear those terms. And I I think about this passage and other passages like it. And say, that may very well be. That's how you're hardwired. That's just who you are. But the Spirit's bigger, isn't He? The Spirit's more powerful. He can take people who are hardwired for self-preservation and cause them to think radically different. And we know that's the case if you think through the Scriptures. Do you find Paul and Silas all beaten up in prison, moaning and groaning about their condition in life? But isn't that normal? Isn't it? Isn't woe, and, woe is me really natural? Old Testament, we've got Job. Job. Isn't it natural for him to curse God and die as his wife counseled him? Doesn't that make a whole lot of sense? But that's not how he responded, was it? No, instead he rebuked his wife for even thinking it and talking about it. Paul and Silas in prison... Friends, and woe is me, and oh, life, life stinks, and it's horrible, and all the rest. How it is natural for us to respond? Paul and Silas did what? They sang hymns of praise to God, they worshiped. Friends, that, that's, that's not normal, is it? That's not normal. It's not just those two examples, you see it everywhere, don't you? When Paul headed to Rome, decided to go go to Rome, what was, what was everybody's response? Don't go, they're going to kill you. And he told them to be quiet. He knew they were going to kill him? And his point was what? I don't care. That's not normal, is it? That's not normal. And that's the power of the Spirit at work. And that's what we find here. Now, it's easy to sterilize it, so put yourself in the situation. If you knew a dire famine was coming in to the world in just a little bit, would it not be natural to go crazy at Sam's Club? Would it not be natural to go crazy at... At Walmart? Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be totally natural to go join in on the Black Friday esque attack on all the grocery stores? Wouldn't that make a whole lot of sense? It wouldn't make a whole lot of natural sense, would it, to call the elders and say, hey, tell you what, why don't we start gathering stuff together? because those churches that are persecuted or maybe we can't even get it to the persecuted churches you know the inner city churches that are really going to they're going to pay a severe price right what do you say we start gathering stuff together now for them That's not normal is it and all we got to do is turn on the news to know it's not normal (laughs) take take famine out of it and put virus in, right? I mean, this is a micro-step difference, isn't it? There's no real difference at all. Put virus in. There's a virus sweeping the world, and people are going to die. Some estimates have said that in America it could be up to a 170 million could die. Now, I think it's a little extreme, but some have said that. I think that that's really extreme. But you get my point. It's really natural to say, oh my goodness, we've got to panic. Oh my goodness, we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't do something else. Oh my goodness, I've got to watch out. And, and, and the whole rest of the world be damned, I'm going to take care of me and my family is that natural to say? And to live out? It's really unnatural to say, let's love people. Let's care for people. The other day I was at uh, Sam's Club buying a few things. And um, I wasn't stocking up, I was just picking up a few things that were needed. And I, I, I thought, hey, I think, I'll grab, I think I'll grab one of the rotisserie chickens and have it for dinner tonight. So I grabbed the rotisserie chicken. I said, you know, I don't need it, but they had rotisserie chickens. There. I'll grab one because I like rotisserie chickens. And so I grabbed it, and I got in line, <clears throat> and it was crazy there, by the way. It was absolutely insane. I think it was Friday. It was absolutely insane. I'm standing in line, and the lady behind me, an elderly lady and her husband behind me said, Oh, you got the last chicken, huh? It didn't even dawn on me there may be a run of chickens. And I, I looked over at her, and, and she didn't have one, and I had one. And, and I said, yeah, I just, I saw it there. I thought, it, but there were more. It wasn't the last one. There was like eight of them when I took it. Uh, but I said, I, said uh, I thought, you know, chicken wouldn't, wouldn't be bad tonight. And she said, yeah, we were kind of hoping for chicken. I reached out and grabbed her. I said, you can have it. She wouldn't take it. I said, really, I, I already had a plan for dinner tonight. I just saw chickens. I thought, oh, I'll, make, I'll just carve the chicken instead. You can have I tried my hardest to let her have it, but she wouldn't take it. But the point is, that's not how we think, is it? It's just not how we think. Our natural thought is, hey, hey, I got my chicken. Right? And you ain't got one. It's counterintuitive, and I know I'm belaboring the point, but what they're talking about, friends, you got to understand something, what they're talking about here is spirit thinking. It's heart change. That's what it is. Here are people who, being people, should what? Should step over whoever they step over to get the supplies they need to survive. Right? Sounds kind of familiar right now, doesn't it? And instead, what are they doing? They're helping people so they don't have to fight for stuff that they may not be able to get a hold of. Right? That's what they're doing. They're loving people. Why are they loving people? Because, if I may submit, reading behind the lines first, because the Holy Spirit is upon them with power. Because that's what Acts is all about. Holy Spirit is upon them with power. The result of that is people who are willing to say what? Famine coming, I'm willing to die if necessary. In effect, what you find is this group of people are acknowledging, as I said before several times, they're acknowledging what Jesus said to his disciples, I have food you know nothing about. Isn't that exactly what they're acknowledging? Except that unlike the disciples, the people at the Christians in Antioch know something about it. Don't they? Because the Christians in Antioch are saying, you know what's more important than food? Literally, they're saying this. You know what's more important than food? Reflecting the love that we're receiving from Christ. That's what they're saying. And living out. What's more important than Food. Loving other believers, who are going to have it more difficult than me. It's a crazy, stunning perspective. And so, verse thirty says they did it, sending it to the sending it uh, to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. <clears throat> it, lest we miss the point, if I may come out of the scriptures for a second. Um, In Spurgeon's time, the Black Plague was raging. It was bad. If you know anything about the history of the Black Plague, this is nothing. (laughs) This is like a vacation at the shore. Even if you take their most dire predictions, then the Black Plague... You know what Spurgeon did? Spurgeon continued to preach. He continued to minister. And then he began feverishly going out and ministering to sick people with the black plague. And he exhorted his fellow pastors to do that. And you know what happened? Many of the pastors in Spurgeon's day died. Many of them did. But what was more important, Spurgeon didn't. But what was more important was that the gospel shined forth for those pastors. And people in the churches began to follow their examples. And they began to spread it as well. And they spread it, spread it, spread the gospel. Light in the midst of darkness. Light in the midst of darkness. And it's recorded, you can read the records of how many, uh, so many people who are on their deathbed that didn't know Jesus. And they're dying. And they're coming to faith in Christ by the gospel witness of people who said the gospel is more important than survival. Now, it's inter- if, if I may say this, this is radical, friends. This is radical. Because today, number one priority is keeping safe. Isn't it? Keeping safe. Again, I said in the beginning, we don't want to be stupid. But then I qualify that. Because who defines stupid? Right? How do you define stupid? I mean, what Spurgeon did sounds pretty stupid, doesn't it? I mean, naturally it does. But I think even in my heart, at some level, it sounds like, ah, it sounds a little stupid. But is it? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. What all those pastors did that died during that time frame? There were many, many that died. Was it stupid for them to die? No. No. What? What's then? They yes. They, they understood. I think that's exactly correct. By the Spirit with power on them, they understood something. They understood that there were eternal ramifications. They understood that this one life will soon be what? Past. Only what's done for Christ will last. They got it. Right? They got it. And the midst of one of the darkest times in the industrial age, the light shone brightly. Didn't it? It shone brightly. The gospel witness resonated during that time. And it's the same thing here. That is said in contrast with chapter 12, with Herod, Herod was also a lover of brothers, wasn't he? Uh, no. Again, verse one. About that time, Herod. And by the way, just so you're aware, this Herod that's being referenced, his name was actually King Agrippa, the first. He was Herodian, which means he was half Jew. So it's not like he was just a Gentile. He was half Jew. He understood the Jewish ways. He was very well liked by Jews. He understood the Jewish law. He understood Judaism completely, as completely as someone could. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed. This is, this is taking place down in Jerusalem. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. These are the people that the church in Antioch are getting ready to send help to because of the coming famine. He kills James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he did it, verse 3, he discovered the Jews really liked it. Right? That says, verse 3. It pleased the Jews. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And now Peter is arrested. He's in prison. This was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter stayed in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to the church by God. And we'll pick up on the rest of that passage next week, Lord willing. <clears throat> in absolute contrast to the way the church, those who are caught up with the gospel, Respond to situations. Herod, who doesn't even know about the, pers- the, the famine yet to come, because it's been told up in Antioch, he, in absolute contrast in Luke's description, does what? He turns and despises Christians, doesn't he? And he attacks the leaders of the church. Who atta- Who's he attack? James, brother John, and he attacks Peter. Kills James and throws Peter in prison. The point is, I would argue, that should be expected. What has James done that's been bad? All oh, he does preach the gospel. Is that bad? No. What has he done that was bad? Nothing. Did that matter to Herod? No. What did Peter do that was bad? Well, he cut off Malchus' ear. That was a long time ago now. Other than that, what did he do? He preached the gospel, which included what? This same Jesus who you crucified. That painful message, right? It's all he's done. Those who are unconverted love or hate Peter. And James hated him. Unless you miss the point, it is interesting. There is no evidence, biblically nor hi- historically, that when money came and food supplies and everything else came down to the church in in Jerusalem. And again, I suspect this would be the case. I can't guarantee it, but I suspect in the midst of this famine, when the Christians in Jerusalem got the supplies, I suspect they did something with them. What do you think they did? Helped others. You think? You think maybe that was the case if the Spirit's on him with power? Maybe helped others and used it as an opportunity to what? Shed light? Proclaim the light? Proclaim the gospel? There's no evidence historically at all, nor biblically, that in the midst of this, these events taking place, that the people said, wow, the church really is good people. There's no evidence that took place at all. There's no evidence that people changed their mind about the gospel. There's no evidence that people changed their mind about the church. In the midst of all that, you know what happened? Persecution just continued to get worse and worse and worse. It did. The biblical and historical record is clear. The persecution just continued to get worse. And the people continued to love And the people continued to proclaim the gospel. The people continued to bring the light. The point of the text is pretty clear. The point of the text is pretty obvious, and it really speaks into our time today. What's our goal? What's our objective? What's our hope? Where's our longings? What are we we banking on? I don't mean physically banking on, although it includes that. What are we banking on? What are we depending on? I'm so troubled. I'm so troubled that at any number of levels, as I look at, again, Christians panicking panicking over opportunity, panicking over an event that is taking place in our lives that is being handed to us for God's glory. And to quote Paul Tripp, instead what we find ourselves doing is shrinking our lives down to the size of our lives. That's what we're doing. If we're not careful, and so many Christians are doing, just shrinking the size of our life down to the size of our life. Everything defined by me. Instead of saying, God is at work. God has a plan. We're not going to be stupid. We're not going to do stupid things, although we need to wrestle with what is stupid and what isn't. But in this time of crisis, as it grows, if it does, how can I be a light in the midst of darkness? That's what the Spirit should be doing in each one of our lives, shouldn't it? It absolutely should. Absolutely. I, um, if I may find this real quickly, I posted on Facebook, I um, hope I didn't just lose my wife. Um, I posted on Facebook this week. Give me one second. thought I had it there. It's a virus, yes. I will have it in just a second. I want to read it to you because it's really important. I know, those of you who follow me know I've posted a lot of funny things as well. But um, this is really, really important. There it is. It's by C.S. Lewis. He wrote this 72 years ago. um, And he wrote it in light of the Um, atomic bomb crisis the fears that was raging crazily in America over over Russia or Soviet Union atomic warfare those type of things So I'm going to take his statements about the atomic bomb and put coronavirus in instead in one way we think a great deal too much about the coronavirus how are we to live in a coronavirus age I am tempted to reply, why, as you would, would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in, in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat at night, or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, in an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an a- age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, don't, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the coronavirus was invented or what, what came to be. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. But we, still ha- but we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by the coronavirus, let that coronavirus, when it comes, find us doing sensible things and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about the coronavirus they may break our bodies a microbe can do that but they need not dominate our minds now he didn't take it far enough did he he didn't take it anywhere near far enough but the direction he's heading is really good isn't it we're all going to die are we not unless christ returns before that time we're all going to die do what we may, we can do nothing about the virus, can we? Because even if we get, the, as a Christian, as a, as a Christian who believes, in God's, believes strongly in God's sovereignty, I think most of us do, if God has ordained that we are going to get the coronavirus, is there anything we can do to avoid it? No. Again, that doesn't mean we do foolhardy things. But if he's ordained that we are to get the coronavirus that I am or you are, there's nothing I can do to avoid that. I remember Stonewall Jackson, not because I was there, of course, but in in, in the Civil War, I was not. I'm not that old, Charles. Jim, were you? No. Uh, (laughs) His daughters like it. I can see him laughing. Stonewall Jackson during, I forgot which battle it was. The bullets were flying, and he's, direct, he's a Confederate soldier, Confederate general, and the bullets were flying, and he was just standing there, which is why he was called Stonewall Jackson, because they said he stood like a stone wall. At least that's the idea. And as the bullets were flying, and he was standing there directing his troops, his young assistant was like hugging the ground and trying to be as small as he possibly could. And he looked up at the general, and he said, sir, are you not afraid? And Stonewall Jackson looked at him and said, I am not afraid. And he said, why are you not afraid? How is it possible? Bullets are flying everywhere. And he looked at him. This isn't the exact quote. But he looked at him and he said, he said, son, here's the deal. Obviously, now you know it's not an exact quote. Here's the deal. If God has ordained for me today to be killed by a bullet, the bullet he's ordained for, for me will find me whether I am here or a 100 miles away from the battle. If it is not by God's ordination that I am to die today, there is not a bullet that has ever been made that can kill me. Why should I be afraid? That's someone who believes in God's sovereignty. Believe powerfully in God's sovereignty. Interestingly enough, two weeks later, he got shot by his own troops. And two weeks after that, he died. But the point is, Lewis makes a great statement. How should we respond? Not not to the atomic age, but to the coronavirus, that's our era. How should we respond? C.S. Lewis says, live life. Isn't that what he said? And I agree with him, live life. But here's where he didn't go far enough. Live life for the glory of God. Live life in the face of God. Live life as if you're in the presence of God. Because we are. Depending upon, prayerfully depending upon, the Spirit to guide, teach, and direct as he sees fit. And trusting that as God plan is unfolded, it will always be what? Right and good. Always. So the contrast we have, it's interesting, the contrast we have in the scriptures is between the church and the world. Isn't that what we see here? The scary thing today is that's not the contrast that we would look at today. The contrast we would see today is the church and the church. Because much of the church is is responding the exact same way the world responds. But Christ calls us to glorify him. And the events of our lives serve the purpose of what? Glorifying him. So as we go from here after we sing songs, that's the calling of God on our lives. You may get the coronavirus. You may not. Right? Right? all in God's hands. We don't want to be stupid. For example, Charles is going to announce that we're not going to have the evening service tonight because we have it at my house. And my mom fell last week and hurt herself, and she's not the same. And she's really, really not the same. She's having tremors. She's um, She has no balance most of the time and she's more confused than she's ever been and at 89 years old it'd probably be good not to bring a bunch of people in to her place especially since i just talked to to my doctor and he said it's not about the coronavirus the flu is still running wild and so probably best not to you know keep her a little isolated i get that i get that um so We're not going to have service tonight, yet at the same time, what's our goal? What's our objective? What has God called us to? Where's our heart? That's a real question, isn't it? Where's our heart? Where's our heart after? What is our heart after? What are we after for the glory of God? Or are we after something else? So as we close the message out, that's what we should be asking ourselves. That's what we should be wrestling with. What are we after? What are we hot after for His glory or not? Let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us to to recognize Your calling in our lives. And I pray that Your Spirit will be mightily at work in us for Your glory. And in this time of struggle and difficulty and, and, and fear and the temptation for that, I pray You'll protect us. Help us to be people who revel in You and love You and serve You and worship You. In Your name I pray. Amen.